1: Welcome back, to your listener. This is episode 271 of the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove podcast. My name is Trevor, aka The Iron Fist. This is a podcast where we talk about news and politics and sex and religion. We've been doing it for five years, and for most of those years it was audio only, and in recent times we've been doing a live stream, and today my NBN failed, and despite the best efforts of tech guru Joe, we were unable to patch up an alternative, and connect all cameras. So so there's no live stream this week. Um, but with me as always, Scott, the Velvet Glove.
2: G'day Trevor, g'day Paul, g'day Joe, g'day listeners.
1: And Paul, the 12th man. G'day everyone. And lurking over the soundboard, Joe, the tech guy. Good evening everyone. It was a valiant effort, Joe. We, we had cords connecting, disconnecting. Sweat was coming off our brow in an air-conditioned pool room. It uh, <laughs> didn't happen. Anyway, next week, uh, it'll be right. So, it's good. Just audio only. We can um, not worry about the distractions of chat rooms and things. So,
2: you'll be able to delete anything that I might consider to be. Yeah. Um, Indeed. Uh, what's it called? Defamatory. Defamatory, yes. Yeah. Go for so it. So, I can go for it tonight because it fam- all gets edited out. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs>
1: Indeed. So. Oh, gentlemen, I started off with a little paragraph here, why worry? And I say that um, our civilization is based on each generation being able to take the knowledge of previous generations in order to build better outcomes. And it seems to me that just blatant lying is no longer punished in our society. There's no, there's no repercussions for, for misinformation and lying. And truth has been devalued. I
2: blame Donald Trump
1: for a lot of that.
0: (laughs) Really? Yeah, I don't think he started it though, did he? Uh, He he might have started it, but
2: I think he he developed it into an art
0: form. He put it on steroids. He turned up the volume. Absolutely,
1: he did. did. So, I think there was, I think there was guys like Newt Gingrich and people like that in America, and Murdoch with his Fox News and everything, had created a real tribalism and. A lot of the gentlemanly rules of conduct were becoming abandoned, um, but I think Trump really interest, introduced the idea of fake news. I mean, he, yeah, he is synonymous he's the one that, he's with the one that fake news. He coined it. And you, you disagree? You don't think he's had a large impact in the devaluation of? I think he certainly truth.
0: amplified the problem. Yes. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, but I just think you've got to look at the difference between this Republican president and the last Republican president. Now, what I find hilarious is is I've got American friends who say, God, give me back George W. Bush. Mm-hmm. Now, that is something that I never thought I would hear, is anyone longing for the days of George W. Bush. Indeed. But, you know, you've only got to look at this guy and you can understand where they're coming from. Oh. And that is something that I think we've got to try and understand is just how far America has lurched backwards under this idiot. Mm. He has really fucked it up and fucked it up very badly. Yeah, but he
1: still garners a lot of support and he's a fair chance of winning. Which I is, know, he is a is fair is the, chance of winning. Which is the frightening part about it. Like if he'd have done all that stuff and was in a miserable 20%. Then
2: you'd feel better about it. Yes. But you just got to look at it and you think yeah. to yourself, Jesus Christ, this bastard could win. Yes. He could win. Mm. And I think that's something we've all got to get our heads around and we've got to be prepared that come November, well, probably November 10 by the time the Mm. results are finalised, is that he could well get back up again. And and the sorts of
1: things that he's possibly going to win on are things that are just completely the wrong reasons in the sense that he paints Joe Biden as some sort of lefty lunatic as if if you let Joe Biden in then then America is just going to go radical and Joe Biden is is just he's just new democrat new you know it's he's a conservative right end of the democrats he's nothing like a Bernie
2: Sanders type character no so but but but, where Trump has got this from is that Bernie Sanders has been invited into some sort of think tank within the Democrats and that there is some evidence that Joe Biden has been pulled further to the left. What What evidence? What evidence? Sorry? What evidence? I don't know because I don't follow American politics all that far. There's no evidence because he hasn't said anything. He hasn't said anything. I know that. But there is some evidence. Okay. Climate change, for example. He has actually said a hell of a lot more about climate change than what anyone was expecting him to say and they're saying that he has been pulled further to the left by this new grouping that's under Bernie Sanders. Who knows? I, I don't know.
1: I haven't heard any left-ish statement out of Joe no, Biden. No, I understand I that. not heard any statement. Like,
0: I understand that, He's yeah. purposefully laying low. I mean, it's all written for him, isn't he? Yeah. Joe Biden. I mean, yeah, he's yeah. just playing it very, very safe. He's mm. trying to appeal to, you know, the, the the radical leftists, you know, on on a few issues. Hasn't he he's mentioned not, a few? Not, why would he try and appeal to them? Because he's got their vote. They're not going to vote for Trump.
1: He doesn't have to appeal I to suppose them. I
0: that's true, Yeah.
1: He's just appealing to middle-of-the-road, yep. right-leaning Americans saying it'll be okay with me. I'm not crazy.
0: Yeah, he's trying to so, win back the working-class vote that was lost to Trump Yeah, so, by Hillary Clinton's um, yeah.
2: but, basket so, of deplorables. It's, yes, yeah, exactly.
1: So it's Trump's painting a picture of, of Biden as this radical, which couldn't <laughs> be further from the truth. He'll even just get up and say things like that he's protecting pre-existing conditions and coverage for that yeah. with health care. And he's doing completely the opposite. So um, he'll say things like he's he's helping the veterans. Um, but, again, he cuts the funding completely out of veterans. Like he'll, he'll praise himself as doing great work on different, you know, name any topic, mm. and the evidence will actually be completely the opposite and it doesn't matter. No, That's no, the it, part that I'm getting at is... It should, be, it should be where the world or the, the electorate says, you're talking complete shit, yep. but he can get away with it because it's so tribal and a whole yeah, range exact, of other factors. Exactly. It's tribal. Yeah. And
0: even though Trump is obviously dishonest, mm. he just says whatever comes, comes you know, yeah, off yeah. the top of his head. Yeah. But is Biden any more honest? Because Biden is just saying what is written on the script for him. Every
1: man on the planet is more honest than Donald Trump. Like, seriously, you can't compare the honesty of, of Donald Trump with, with virtually anybody. Like, the guy couldn't lie straight in bed. He's just oh, – oh, this, this is where comparisons you, fall down. You he probably has say, a special bed you,
0: you, that holds his body you, in a straight line, you know. A couple of <laughs> prostitutes maybe <or> something, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But
1: um, so I just I just find it incredibly depressing that that the truth of these things makes no difference. I find that's a depressing prospect for our civilization, where we've built upon knowledge and worked things out, and then moved forward. And we just can't move forward. I think now, where we just on a whole range of issues can't agree on on what's true. So how do you move forward? I find that a really depressing moment in our, for our mm. species, when when information is so readily available, it should be halcyon days. Um,
2: but yeah, that's it. Mm. That was said to me the other day in a coffee shop, the barista, whom I talk to quite a lot, Calvin, Calvin, mm. I think so, Calvin. Callum. Shout out to Calvin. No, Callum. Callum. Shout out, Callum. <laughs> if you're listening, Callum, which I doubt you are. Mm. Um, you know, he just he made the point that, you know, the at our fingertips we have got everything. He said, you know, you can even pull a phone out of your pocket and Google something and get the information that you're looking for. But he said with all that information, people are still fucking stupid. Mm. Yeah. And they are, mm. you know. So, you know, on the one hand it's it's depressing because
1: – It seems to me that a lot of people, are the information is being
3: misused, (laughs) right?
1: But on the other hand, like, when I have to research things for this podcast and it's so easy to get stuff now, like, I was looking at some legislation, bang, there it was. Like, in the old days of being a lawyer, it was actually hard to find legislation. You had to buy goddamn expensive books that were, you had to uh, loose-leaf things that had to pull sheets out and put sheets in again as legislation was changed, like, it was really difficult to get information, and now and you, you have can to just buy them. yeah, you had to buy certain books and and pay a lot of money for a subscription so that mm. so that refresh pages would be sent to you as legislation changed, and you mm. could pull pages out and put pages in again. You know, to try and keep up to date. But that stuff. would have
0: been a tax deduction anyway, wouldn't it? Yeah,
1: but it was expensive <laughs> stuff, and it was just time consuming and difficult. And now you can just pull information up. But mm. um, anyway, well while well, well, we're still in America, then. Uh, um, the uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg died. Mm. And boy, oh boy, is there going to be a shit fight over there now. Like Absolutely. If we, if we yeah. thought there was a shit fight over stuff before, that has just thrown <laughs> um, fuel onto the fire, literally, I think, uh, what's going to go there. So, so dear listener, uh, most of you are probably aware, but in the last year of Obama's presidency, when he had about – Ten months to go. Uh, maybe it was March, and so about eight months to go. And there was a Supreme Court um, justice vacancy came up, and ordinarily, based on previous conduct, um, Obama should have been able to install a a new Supreme Court judge. And, and the House blocked it. Is that right? Uh, the Senate. Senate <laughs> the so the Senate uh, Republicans, Senate was controlled
0: by the Republicans. Yes. Mitch McConnell.
1: Yeah, Mitch McConnell said, "No, you are too close to the end of your term. You shouldn't. You are in a caretaker mode when it comes to Ten Supreme Court. Yes, caretaker mode. Exactly. Mm. Everyone said that's outrageous, but the Republicans shamelessly blocked it. Now, of course." What, what are we, in September, mm. election in November. And they're talking the, about getting it done before the poll. Yeah. Plenty and, of time. And, and the same characters are saying, well, that was then, this is now, and we're going to ram through our choice because we control the Senate. And we are so, shameless. Shameless hypocrites.
3: <laughs> shameless, exactly. Apparently they've taken Mitch McConnell going, uh, we can't have a uh, Supreme Court justice elected uh, this close to the election. And they've just, it's become the advert for Joe Biden. Oh, really? It, it is literally just Mitch McConnell saying that and An Joe Biden clip. going, I approve this. <laughs>
1: right, right. That's great. Yeah, the the footage from. Uh, from four years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So um, so Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course, was a pioneer in women's rights and she was a liberal on the court. And so uh, the court was finally balanced and... Uh, Five, four, and now, well, it, it's even more, it's tipping more even towards the uh, conservative side. So, cases like Roe versus Wade, which enabled women to, you know, easy access relatively to abortion services, they'll look to overturn that mm. um, with a host of Christian right wing Supreme Court judges that are there. And Of course, what they'll also do is they'll appoint quite young, quite young justice. So Kavanaugh was relatively young in his fifties. They'll appoint another one, and these are people are appointed for life.
2: Exactly, which means they can probably they can probably do twenty, twenty five years, yes, and still retire. Yeah, you know, now Ruth Bader Ginsburg was appointed to the highest court in the United States when she was sixty or sixty one. So she's managed to last twenty six years on the high court. But that's very hard to still be working at that age, mm.
0: wouldn't you think? You know, mm.
2: it's one of those things. that's... um.
1: So, so there were a, a lot of kind words said about her. Absolutely, what a, what a there great were, jurist she was, and yeah. all
2: fully deserved. But, but <laughs> and this is the big but. But I honestly believe she should have stepped down back at the time when you had an Obama presidency and Obama had control of the Senate. Mm. And had she have stepped down then rather than being quite selfish, you know, um, then you could just imagine that the court wouldn't be facing this sort of situation it is now. Mm. Now, Antonin Scalia died in office and all that sort of stuff so Donald Trump was able to appoint Brett Kavanaugh, wasn't it? Not sure. There no, was Gorsuch it was, came Gorsuch in. Gorsuch came in before Kavanaugh did, yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure. That, yeah. yeah. Um,
1: so, so you might say, oh, it's all very well to think of that now that maybe she should have but resigned. But she was during-
2: actually told to resign.
1: Yes. So I've got a link, dear listener, in the show notes. Um, people were saying it, and there's an article here from 2013 where this Mark Tracy was saying, loves Ruth Bader Ginsburg, fantastic woman but you should resign because Mm. we control the Senate, we can get in a Liberal replacement, and who knows what will happen after the next election. Exactly. And she said, well, I'm still thinking pretty well and I'm still sharp and and the Democrats do fine in presidential elections. They just don't do so well in the midterms is what she said.
2: Which is why they lost the Senate, wasn't it? Because the midterms and that sort of stuff, that's when they lost the Senate.
1: Yeah. So so in hindsight, um, she should have... Uh, pulled the pin earlier because she's um, as great a person as she was. She's created, she, she, you know, she, she, she stayed too long.
2: Absolutely. She uh, did stay too
1: long. And the reality of politics is that this was going to happen. And, uh, yeah, so that was a mistake.
2: Um Just before we do leave Ruth Bader Ginsburg, if Mm. I can recommend everyone to look at On the Basis of Sex, that was a very good movie. It was about Ruth Bader Ginsburg's life. Mm -hmm. It was very well put together, very good movie. Mm -hmm. So I thoroughly recommend that to everyone that's Mm. listening to us now. Mm.
1: Now, everyone thinks Trump's going to, um, with the help of Mitch McConnell, um, put in a new justice, young conservative justice, Mm. right? While he's got the chance. Here's my theory. Here's what I think Trump will do is he won't do it and he'll say, I've got this person here who's a conservative young person and if I get elected, then I'll, that's who I'll be
0: installing. He's doing a, Palasz- a Palaszczuk, isn't he? What, has Palaszczuk done that? Oh, she's holding off on VAD legislation until the next election. Don't you think that's a, a it, sort of a, a lure to, it, to people like me, for example? It, yes who yeah. don't really want to vote for her. Yes. But I know that if I, you know, and not that I'm thinking of voting, you know, it Liberal, Demo- liberal National Party, yeah. but you know what I mean? I'm, I'm not very happy with the Labor government in Queensland at yep. the moment and so I would yep. be tempted to vote against her except yes. she's holding off the VAD legislation. It is. And that's still vote green. And and, yeah, right. <laughs> and and that's something that I, I passionately want to see legislated. So, of course, I'm going to wait yep. until she wins another election so yep. that so, so we can Trump, have it. So from Trump's point of view,
1: he doesn't care himself no, about the justices. he's cynical. He has no real personal interest in whether they're conservative or not. It's all about what can he get. And why would you, if you were Trump... Give them the appointment before the election because there's a bunch of people there who hate Trump but are very keen on abortion law being overturned and have basically swallowed a lot in order to have Trump there for the stacking of the Supreme Court. So his best play by far would be to to say what he's going to do but say he's going to do it if re-elected. He can... Uh, achieves two things. He achie- he can appear to be sort of magnanimous and sort of fair, and you know, in the scheme of things, given what happened to Obama, mm. I'll, I'll do this. Yeah. And at the same time, puts the heat on on the Republican Party, and the people are really keen on abortion law reform to make sure he gets elected. I, I think that's what he. Should do. He's clearly he, been following when, Queensland politics. And if closely. he, Well, he hasn't said that's what he's going to do. He's going to talk about it, but just don't be surprised if that's the tactic. If he's sitting around brainstorming this, yeah. that's what he should do because otherwise if he does it early, there'd be a bunch of people who would go, okay, I'm happy the Supreme Court's stacked. I'm going to get rid of this bastard now because he's done his job mm. and, and we'll move on.
3: So... There you go. Have you seen Melania's best friend has come out the last week or so? <laughs> yes. yes, I saw bits of that ex best friend and said basically, yeah ex best friend mm. and and said basically they're complicit, they're in it together and they're they're after whatever they can get out of it. yeah,
1: yeah so uh, <laughs> so yeah you, you just, <laughs> just work, work on the basis of of extreme selfishness, and that's the sort of strategy that you come up with as I put my Donald Trump hat on and try to. Think like him. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, look. Right. Make (laughs) Make Queensland (laughs) great again. if only we had a camera on, yeah, (laughs) but we don't. Now, one other thing on this whole topic is we're talking about uh, judges in the US Supreme Court and we're naming names, yet how many of us could name a single judge on the Australian High
2: Court?
0: Kirby? Is he still on this? No, Kirby has retired. He retired, did he? (laughs)
2: He retired. Now, (laughs) I'm not sure... Uh, clearly, it's not an appointment for life down here. Do, no. do they have a retirement age? And I that think sort it's of a
1: thing? mandatory retirement age. At yeah, which means there's a, so hell of a it, lot of Is sense. it around seventy? I think so. Yeah. But but here's the point: we don't care because we don't have a bill of rights, exactly. So and we don't see our high court as partisan, do well, we? Well, it would become partisan if it had the sorts of power that U.S. Supreme Court judges do. Because uh, in our land, the highest court is called the High Court. In theirs, it's the Supreme Court. Mm. Both of them are responsible for deciding matters of the Constitution. So in America, they've got sort of an inbuilt Bill of Rights in their Constitution. And as we've said on numerous occasions, dear listener, look them up in old episodes, um, when you write a Bill of Rights where you say um, they naturally have to be broad brush concepts and terms. You can't get into the nitty gritty of them. And when you're talking about rights, there's often competing rights that clash. So the freedom to practice religion can conflict with the freedom of speech because um, these are broad brush things. and, And at the intersection of those two ideas, who decides which one wins? Well, if you've got that sort of um, Bill of Rights in a constitution, it's your High Court or your Supreme Court judges who have to work it out. And we don't have that. Our judges are doing fairly, I don't want to say mundane, but um, matters that really the rest of us don't care about too much. Um, the odd time it comes up, but but not that often. So over there with uh, the Bill of Rights in the constitution, um, it, it doesn't matter what the legislature passes a law in terms of abortion, if the Supreme Court says you can do that or you can't do that, it it overrides the legislature. So, And you can have a a Supreme Court that is in place for 10 years, totally unelected, and you can't do anything about it as a democratic republic. Uh, You just have to wear it. So there's a real danger with the Bill of Rights that you then if australia was to introduce it suddenly we'd have our high court judges making these crucial decisions that we actually care about suddenly we'd be saying who's which judge decided that way which one was conservative which one was was liberal which one decided on this issue which one didn't who appointed that judge mm-hmm. who appointed that one we would we would start having the same shit fight over high court judges that they're having over there if they were deciding the same sorts of things. So that, I just think with the Bill of Rights, um, you also, if you just don't like a law and it's just normal, ordinary law, vote the mob out, put in another mob, they write a new law and you move on. But when it's all tied up in, in stuff that's not easily overturned, you can have some pretty terrible um, practices that you just can't do anything about, so... So there you go, food for thought for everyone wanting a Bill of Rights. And I know uh, Robin at the Satanic Temple argued uh, in favour of a Bill of Rights because mm. essentially in South Africa there was a liberal decision made uh, that suited him and suited many people. But um, you just, got, as I said to Robin, you got lucky on that occasion. You just happened to have a liberal court mm. make a liberal decision. It could be an American-style case in five years where – the, a conservative court makes a conservative decision. So there we go. Right. Um, how's everyone feeling about lockdowns? Paul,
0: how are you feeling? <laughs> Has your view changed from lockdowns? Or- no, not no, at all. No. I think it's outrageous and yeah. victorious, becoming more and more like a dictatorship.
1: Mm. So uh, in the show notes, dear listener, and not on the screen for the live stream, because there is no live stream, um, I've got from news poll... Uh, where they've polled um, about 500 people from each state and asking their opinions as to um, what they think of things. So um, your view about restrictions in Victoria. So they asked Victorians, and they also asked people in other states what they thought about the Victorian restrictions. So the question was, Thinking specifically about the situation in Victoria, Victoria has a state of disaster declared and a stage four lockdown in place in Melbourne, meaning many business premises are closed or restricted from opening. This includes a nightly curfew for Greater Melbourne and those who live in specific suburbs are only allowed outside these times for limited time periods to shop for food and necessary supplies or exercise. What is your own view about these restrictions? Dear listener, um... The answers were they are too strict, they are about right, or they are too lenient. And in Victoria, just last week, um, Victorians, 54% said that they are about right. 6% said too lenient.
0: 6%.
1: 3 don't know and 37 against. So... That's still a strong majority, 50, well, that's really 60, 60 to 37 in favor of it, yeah. are in favour of the current lockdowns or something even stronger. So that's still quite strong given uh, what's been going on in the media. And um, interestingly, if you, they then asked the people in the other states what they thought about the Victorian lockdown and people were even more in favour of it. So 63% said about right, 11 said too lenient. So people in other states looking at the Victorians said uh, it was 74%. Three quarters of Australians in other states look at the Victorian lockdown and say it's either good or not hard enough. Are you surprised
0: by that, Paul? I'm not sure whether I should be. I mean... You know, I mean, we've we've often discussed, you know, why aren't Australians more actively interested in politics? And the reason is most of us just are too comfortable to get really interested, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe there's something similar happening there, you know? The, the people who aren't affected by it too much probably think, oh, yeah, you know, our health officer, our chief health officer is saying this is what we need. So, oh, yeah, he's probably right or she's probably right, you know? So I, d- I just don't know, you know, what sort of um, – how much I would, I would put in it. I don't know. What do you guys think? I thought it was
1: a strong majority. I was
2: surprisingly strong. I was surprised at how strong it was. I'm not surprised that it was a majority for those of us outside Victoria because mm. it's very easy for us to say, oh, yeah, keep them locked up. Okay.
0: Mm. Can, I, can I say one thing? Mm. Uh, if, if we conducted a similar poll in China – and ask the Chinese citizens, do you think your government handled the COVID crisis well?
2: Well, they'd probably have a hundred percent saying yes because they'd be frightened of <laughs> having a bullet in the back of the head.
0: Well, <laughs> even without the bullet in the back of the head, do you don't you think most Chinese would probably say, "Oh yeah, you know, our government knows best. They they did the right thing, and yes, they uh, they fixed the problem eventually. Yes, so you'd probably get a, a similar poll result in China. I, I dare say.
1: Yes, but I would have thought China was more accepting of an authoritarian response. Yeah, and that's the part Australia, that surprises
0: me. Know. Is you know the a- Andrews has instituted some quite authoritarian measures, um, and yet people just wear it. Mm. It's yeah, but undermines my faith in humanity a little bit. <laughs> well,
2: don't you think that <laughs> considering the crisis that Victoria was faced with, it's that a- it-
0: Phony it's emergency a cross, It's Mike. a
2: totally phony emergency.
0: No, I think Paul. Paul,
1: I think Paul stated his case on that <laughs> enough. But this is interesting. I thought just because of it, it's it's not just us and what we think. It's sort of the general population. But you're, you're not going to sway Paul. No, on you're not going to sway Paul. I yeah. understand that. So there's no
2: <laughs> point actually engaging with him. <laughs> well,
1: that's a bit
0: condescending. <laughs>
2: Okay, engage him then. Off you go. No, I've already engaged him. No, I, I just honestly believe, considering what Victoria was faced with,
0: what were they faced with?
2: They were getting seven hundred cases a day only In the three months ago. Population
0: of six, six, seven, seven million or something. or something
2: like that. Now they're down to twelve or fourteen, wasn't it yesterday? Oh. It's
0: negligible.
2: I know it's negligible now, it but was it was
0: negligible before. It was totally. You know,
1: manageable. Do, do, do you think yeah. Victoria might have ended up in a USA
0: style of
2: Absolutely. Situation? No,
0: I don't. Well, why not? It's a different place. Um, you know, I think, I think on the whole people were more willing to, you know, as we saw with this poll, to follow guidelines. You know, if they were all told to wear masks and wash your hands, you know, six times a day or more, you know, and just do basic things short of locking people down and... For goodness sake, imposing a curfew. That was absolutely outrageous. Yeah, I think the curfew was probably a little bit too far. Mm. That was probably a little
2: bit ridiculous.
0: Mm -hmm. I mean, are we in Australia or Belarusia, you know? I mean, for goodness sake, a curfew.
2: And also, you know, I don't live with the better half, so Mm. I think it would be very hard if someone said to us, you can't. Go and visit each other. Mm. That was a little bit ridiculous. No, you mm. can't
0: go outside your house after eight that. p.m. I know that, and that's mm. where it's ridiculous. <sighs> it's a phony emergency. It's really a phony emergency. Oh, look, I, I can't agree with you that it's a phony
1: emergency, but no, I can. No, I on. can. I'm open to debate about things like curfew and and numbers of people in a group and 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 the harshness of the restrictions. Whether they had to be as harsh, but. Oh, I'm not going well, the to come, numbers in, of people going to come that, into but it was a phony emergency. No, the,
2: the number of people in a group and that sort of stuff, I don't have a problem with that because I think it's now up to five, isn't it? Uh, in What's Victoria. In Victoria.
1: Households are pretty much segregated still, I yeah, think. Yeah, okay, so they can't visit each other yet. I don't think they
2: can. Right, well, once they can start visiting each other, then I think it goes up to five and then after a couple mm-hmm. of months it goes up to ten and then eventually 20 and that sort mm-hmm. of thing, which I don't have a problem with but um <sighs> and and you know it, it's certainly arguable
1: that that modeling they used didn't take into account clumping and clusters and they could have perhaps been more specific in certain localities and being a, a stronger measures in certain localities and softer measures in others you know all those things are open to debate but I'm not up for that. It's a phony. You know, you know small businesses in, bed, the,
0: so. in, in the Melbourne CBD, mm. so many small businesses have been gutted. Do you, do you know how many in the Brisbane CBD are gutted? Probably uh, more than a few. Exactly. They, I, I read somewhere in the suburbs, in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, mm. some of the small businesses like cafes are actually doing good business because people aren't allowed, you know, or they're mm. staying away from the city. So, same but here. But all the cafes in the CBD are just gutted. Same here. Isn't and there's no, right?
1: there's no restrictions in Brisbane, but you go into the Myers Centre and have a look
0: around in the food court there, gutted. Yep. But there's no restrictions, Paul. Yep. And so, so that indicates so. that people are willing to behave in a sensible fashion and they don't need $1,500 fine. What it people. means
1: is you can't use the argument that this is gutting CBD businesses and that they'd be fine without it
0: well stir- which is where you were heading to well stirring up stirring up fear by declaring an emergency you don't think that made the situation worse no it uh, didn't so, make okay, it worse so, I mean so, I
2: think the reason why I think the reason why those CBD businesses went under is because you've had a hell of a lot of people that used to travel into work every day and then after that they then said right you've got to work from home so they got used to that over three months and then once the bosses said well we want you to come back to work now they got yeah, you know, they got yeah, basically faced with the middle finger coming back at them.
0: Yeah, they're saying, "Well, we we did it okay from home. Why exactly. not continue plus, plus that?" Plus,
1: bosses way. don't want them anyway because the bosses are going, "Well, why should I be paying for three floors of prime office space if we I can have get one a half floor?" floor. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they're okay with that. They're thinking, mm-hmm. "Actually, these people are doing their
2: job. I'm still making money." productivity's up, costs are down, Mm. happy days. Exactly. So that's why those businesses in the CBD have all died because you've got a lot of people that no longer have to travel into the office so Mm. they don't do it anymore. Yeah, there's that. Mm. I'll give you that. And that's why they've gone under.
1: Mm. Let's look at satisfaction levels. Um,
0: Satisfaction in what?
1: uh, Of uh, of premiers. So um, we've got satisfaction with being a premier and then – Satisfied with their handling in the, of the coronavirus. So just general levels of satisfaction with the Premier of Victoria and the Premier of Queensland. So this is, are you thinking they did a good job or not? Um, and in Victoria, with Daniel Andrews just last week, um, 62% satisfied and 35% dissatisfied. So uh, Anastasia Palaszczuk, similar figure. 63 and 33. So still up in the polls, according to that.
0: They've all been brainwashed, obviously.
1: Mm. (laughs) Well, they they just think differently to you, Paul.
0: (laughs) And despite
3: Murdoch's best efforts. Indeed.
0: They've been brainwashed by the ABC and Guardian. Mm, Indeed.
1: (laughs) So um, meanwhile, um, actually, and Scott Morrison's sort of approval rating is a similar amount, 62 and 33. So... Because I subscribed to the Australian, I sort of saw that saw this poll come up, and it was really a headline was like Victorians not yet ready to hammer um Andrews or something along those lines um, they were clearly bitterly disappointed at the Australian that Dan Andrews um poll levels um, were still pretty good and they might have been tempted to paint a picture that it was terrible, but it's the same figures as Scott Morrison, so they couldn't. So um, And they still published it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why How dare they? Rupert will yeah, be furious. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's and that's why I'm happy with this figure, because I figure uh, if that poll was going to be uh, in any way doctored, it would have been the other way. So I think it's a, a genuine figure for sure.
2: Geez, you are suspicious, aren't you, Trevor? <laughs> on, mm. polls,
1: on polls like that, not really. I think polls from News Poll and that are, are an honest endeavour, um, to the best of my knowledge. I just threw that in for.
3: It, it has been said, though, that it depends on the question that's asked. Yes, you, you can load these
1: things up in different ways. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I
3: mean,.
2: Mm. We still will remember that um, episode of Yes, Minister. Yes, Minister. Yeah. Yeah, that was very well
1: done. Mm. If I can think of it, I'll throw it on at the end of of this tape as part of editing. Right. Now, I previously said that, you know, we talked about the Chief Health Minister and we talked about the Premier and I was saying, look, the Health Minister's job is health and they would obviously say, My preferred option is that you close the border, that you don't have stadiums open, that you shut businesses, and that ultimately, though, it was the Premier's decision. So I was kind of saying, you know, at the end of the day, of course the Health Minister is going to make health recommendations based on health, and it's up to the Premier to weigh up the economic considerations and make a decision as to what to do. And I was completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Because <laughs> I came across um there's a piece of legislation passed in March, which was an amendment to the uh uh some sort of health administration bill or whatever but uh in it they passed specific legislation to deal with covid nineteen this is in this is in queensland anyway, which says the chief health officer may um any of the following public health directions, A, a direction restricting the movement of persons, B, a direction requiring persons to stay at or in a stated place, CDE. So it is actually the Chief Health Officer's decision under the legislation. And if Palaszczuk didn't like the decision, she would have to either sack the Chief Health Officer or go back into Parliament and write some sort of amending legislation. So I didn't realise you actually had... I assumed there was some... Wouldn't
0: well, it be a minister that would be responsible ultimately? Because it, the the people we elect are supposed to be the people that make those decisions. They
1: delegated it. So the Labor and the LNP in March of this year passed this amending legislation and it appears to me from reading Hansard that there wasn't even a division. It was just a, just a show of hands, yep, everyone in favour. Mm. So both sides of parliament said, yes, emergency coming, let's give the chief medical officer, uh, chief health officer this power. Jeez. And um, and so they delegated that ability to the chief health officer.
2: it's God. interesting. It makes Frecklington look like an idiot because she's out there banging on about this and she keeps saying that... Um the premier's got to pull the health officer up. Right. Well, if Frecklington read the legislation that before the, she voted on but, it, that she voted on, she it. voted on it, and she's mm. given the she's handed the authority over to the chief health mm. officer.
1: Yeah.
0: So Some, somebody should point that out to her well, next time, and you know Deb before you, the next election,
2: Deb, if you're listening, yes, you know, f- of course she's
0: listening, but, but well, she's
1: fucked up, hasn't but, she? But this is the same Deb Frecklington who called a press conference saying that we need a new coordinator general. And in the press conference, they said, "What's the name of the old one or the current one?" And she said, "Oh, uh, I can't, back re- can't to remember. You. <laughs> it, I think it's a guy."
2: And, oh, it's um, a woman, wasn't
1: it? and in fact, it was a woman called Tony. Mm. And so she's called a press conference, calling for a new coordinator general so that infrastructure can be built and the in Queensland can move forward. And she at a press conference, she called, she couldn't state the name of the person she wanted removed. Isn't that terrible? It is terrible. It's yeah. a chick with
0: a guy's so, so. name. You can hardly hold that again. <laughs> <laughs> Just terrible.
1: So, um, right. Um, uh, diverting a little bit for uh, back to the US and also Queensland to some extent. Um, so this is from an article by Mike Seckham in the Saturday paper. Um, Writing back uh, three years ago, May 2017, and he said, You like John Stuart Mill, don't you? It's one of your
0: favourites. I haven't actually read his uh-huh. works.
2: Have you read On Liberty?
0: All right. No, I haven't. I it's
2: really good.
0: Yeah. yeah. There you go. Think, I'll, I'll take Scott's should, recommendation should, and read it. He should be one of your heroes. It, it, it's not like going. Right.
3: Like, <laughs> what? Not like what? Like what? Light-going.
0: No,
2: it's not light-going. It is is quite heavy, but it is quite good, yeah. Yeah. Oh, thanks.
1: Um, So John Stuart Mill noted in 1866 uh, during a parliamentary debate in Britain, um, he said famously um, that while not all conservatives were stupid, stupid persons are generally conservative. (laughs) And um, his words were a bit harsh. It might have been better if he had substituted uninformed for stupid for it is less a matter of intellectual capacity than of access to the tools of critical thought. But according to Mike Seckham, numerous studies show that the more educated a person is, the more developed their analytical faculties, the less likely they are to vote for a party of the right and vice versa.
0: And the less likely they are to be religious too, uh, I believe.
1: Could Yes, that would probably be the case. So there's a pollster in America called Nate Silver and... He basically um, went through the counties in America and they had access to um, how the county voted and also data on what proportion of people in the county had a tertiary education. And um, he studied county-by-county shifts in voting between the election of the rational progressive Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And he found that in 48 of the 50 best-educated counties, more people voted for Hillary Clinton than had voted for Obama four years previously. But in the least-educated counties, she got fewer votes in 47 of the 50. That's that's a pretty interesting statistic, I would have thought. Mm. um, And he was able to discern that this applied Independently of the incomes of the people in those counties, so um, it yeah. wasn't economic disadvantage that drove them to move their votes to Trump. It was intellectual disadvantage. Let's see how Mike
0: seconds. It's What's a it? hard thing to measure, though, isn't it? Really? Well, you
1: can measure degrees. You can measure the yes, the but education. My point being,
0: you know, I've met quite you know university educated people who mm. I didn't think were that bright, yeah. and I've heard and I've met. You know, people who didn't finish high school who I thought were really smart. Mm. So it doesn't always but follow. Are they,
3: the, no, no. are they the outliers or are they the but, but, norm? But but what he's saying in forty
1: eight of fifty counties
0: I think it's a it's a matter of life opportunity more than anything.
1: But, but okay, so the plural of anecdote is not data and you know, personal experience isn't you know, an argument. But So here's a guy who's gone through the data. In 48 of the 50 best educated counties, Hillary did better than Obama. And in 47 of the 50 least educated counties, she did worse. Like, it's mm. a pretty
0: strong trend of mm. the thought. Yeah. So, But it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? You, uh, of course. And I mean, he, he politics says, is not that, you know, simple.
1: Indeed. But I've previously said that in relation to... Trump. It was the four R's. It was race, religion, Rust Belt and redneck. And um, that seemed to me the way that these things were working out. But that sort of redneck slash uh, not tertiary educated seems to be a critical one based on this. So... um, And if you want to, good thing
0: you're not running for office, Trevor. Because calling people rednecks (laughs) will get you the same fate as Hillary Clinton. I'm trying to. I've got the moniker of the Iron Fist, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to get it back. You know, maybe I've been too soft lately. So, (laughs) anyway,
1: how does that apply in Australia? And um, David Marr noted um, that there was nothing particularly special about the pattern of employment for Pauline Hanson's One Nation voters. So One Nation voters were not deprived in a material sense. Indeed, overall, they were middling prosperous. But though they were not poor, they were uh, extraordinarily fearful of poverty, thought that they could be left behind by rapid social change. And according to this article by David Marr, the standout demographic characteristic of One Nation voters was their lack of education. Typical One Nation voter didn't finish school, um... Much less, as Ma put it, set foot in a university. And uh, he relied on data from the um, Australian Election Study, numbers prepared by Professor Ian McAllister. And so, yeah, so locally as well with Pauline Hansen, indications are that One Nation voters don't have higher education. It, sounds,
2: it is it, a French party, though. It sounds it?
1: nasty and insulting, but that just seems to be the way it is. So,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, still on this same article, um, in May 2013, the then opinion, uh, actually, um, right at the very beginning, let me just
0: find it. I should have, um, I think something
1: like, I'll come, there'll be something back.
0: Do you think, Trevor, that um, that sort of information, that sort of, Mm hypothesising, makes uh, uneducated people look like they don't know what's good for them, right? So, I mean, most of us would probably agree One Nation is probably not the the party any of us would vote for for a number of very good reasons. But I, I read something recently about the last election in the UK and apparently the uh, the labor party in the uk these days mostly attracts of course they have a, a working class base but it mostly attracts sort of uh, university educated uh, you know upwardly mobile people in uh, and mainly in the you uh, know in, in london and the sort of more affluent areas mm-hmm. and yet at the last election you know the nongs in the north the working class north that everybody assumed would vote for corbyn Mm-hmm. They didn't. And they, you know, they're not that stupid that they that they that they would just vote for Corbyn because he was Labour. You know, they saw Corbyn as a liability and not serving their interests, not serving the interests of the working class. You know, he was pandering to the new left and the social justice warriors and not really serving the interests of the working class. And they didn't vote for him. It, it, the, the reason why the
2: Tories won last time is because you had this Bojo was out there saying we will get Brexit done. That -hmm. is the reason why he won. And I don't think it's – a lot of Corbyn's policies, though, were probably appealing to the – Working classes, such you as think? the renationalisation of the steel industry, plus the renationalization of the of the railways. Oh, that's also- an
0: interesting one because what I read was most people who use the rail on a regular basis are actually middle class people, not well, that working class. Well, doesn't surprise people. me. Yeah, most working class people drive to work. <laughs> mm. So there you go. Uh,
1: he,
0: he was go- Corbyn was going to take money out of the budget for building roads and put it into rail, re-nationalising rail. And the working-class people were saying, well, I don't take the train anymore. Why is he doing that? You know,
1: I don't know enough about the previous British election. (laughs) um, It was interesting. To mouth off on it. But I do know that people will, through stupidity, vote against their best interests, an example being Obamacare. So the very people who that was designed to help, people with pre-existing conditions who could not afford to get health insurance, who were going to be covered by Obamacare, were out in the streets protesting about it. So,
0: But do you have uh, hard evidence that th- those people who were protesting yeah. against, or large numbers of them? Yes,
1: and indeed people whose own family were ill and needed cover we're still voting against it.
0: But is this anecdotal or no, statistical? No, there's this, this,
1: this, this evidence of it. Like, there's stories about it. There's stories people, are anecdotes. People interviewed. People
0: interviewed. Interviews are, are anecdotes.
1: Well, well, okay, Paul, if I find a statistic that shows that, will you believe me? I might. Well, why would I bother if it's only your mind? Well, statistics, so, as so we if, know, if,
0: statistics are so, you know so, so what's the open point? to manipulation. So, so, no, so I I what's just, the point? No, I would just like a bit more evidence than right. a few yep, interviews yep, or a few people yep, who yep, gave yep. their stories and said, "Yeah, I hate Obamacare," and you know, I, my sister's you know got hey, well, two heart well, surgeries in an operation. <laughs>
3: Famously, there was an interview of someone who went, I'm voting against Obamacare, it's the work of the devil. And they said, but aren't you on, the afford- aren't you on um, uh, that anyway? And they said, no, no, I'm on the Affordable Care Act.
0: Yes, but you know, oh, you know what I'm saying. Are you it's doubting it's the easy people- to interview a few people I, I, who are outliers or I, 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 exceptional I, 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 cases so and, and present them as evidence that you know, this great mass of people uh, voting against their own interests. I, I you, just I don't, don't you know. just don't
1: buy it. You don't buy it, that people it might could, be true. It that. might
0: not, but you know, I think I, it's, I, I just a, few, a mm. few anecdotes is not enough to it, convince
1: it, it, me. It's it's more than just anecdotes, but I don't have the studies okay. in front of me because well, I'll, I'll, I'll give you time to the, find. Yeah, it. but I'm just wondering if I should bother because even if I come up with the statistics, you'd say, well, that's just statistics, and you know, it's probably been manipulated. So, oh, it wouldn't. so it's just the concept that people. You, you, I'm giving you the idea that uh, people can vote against their own interests. Oh, I know that's true, of because course. Because you said, oh, Trevor, you are suggesting that people might be so stupid as to vote against their own interests. Well, he, uh, of yes. Of course some people uh, my, are. my understanding of human nature is yes.
0: I, I agree. A lot of people are stupid and, yeah. and some people will vote against their own interests. I'm mm. with you on that. Okay. But right. I just like that's to, you know, I just think it's a bit risky to make mm. To generalise too much about things, just like trust that. me on that one.
3: But it, see, it's
1: been noted that see, just pretend I'm the spectator. Uh, pretend I'm a writer in the Spectator, and I've just written an article that says that. Okay, but, but, then that's, submit your then, article, and that's it. And I don't need any we'll proof. I can it, just I can just say it. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's printed, it must be true. Submit your draft. It must. It must be true. Sorry, you were going to chip in, Joe. Hopefully,
3: on my side. Uh, yeah, no. But, well, actually, um, the political left who tend to be pro-refugee uh, and pro-immigration. Yes. Um, the working class are very anti that, yes. not, not so much because of racism, but they see because they're unskilled, Skin in the game. unskilled labour, they see a, a, a cheap source of labour coming in Absolutely. A, and forcing house prices up and yes. wages down.
1: Absolutely agree with you. Yep. Absolutely agree with you. And, On that issue, they're not voting against their interests. Exactly. And it's very easy for, um, for the liberal elite in the inner city uh, who have got jobs that are not threatened by cheap immigrants to say, yeah, ring them in. Exactly. But if your job is you're currently an Uber driver or you're pushing a bicycle around delivering meals or you're cleaning offices at night time, then it's just more competition. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I agree with you 100%. Those people do not have skin in the game. It's yeah. very easy to be virtuous and, um, Yeah. True.
2: It's extremely easy to be virtuous in that situation. If, mm-hmm. you, are an inner, if you are an inner city person mm-hmm. that li- is a lawyer or something like that, mm-hmm. it makes perfect sense.
0: Yeah. Not casting aspersions on lawyers, of course. No, of course cast, not. Cast the, away. <laughs> it's just the first profession that came to I would
2: mm-hmm. say, oh, fine. Mm-hmm. If you're an inner city accountant, mm-hmm. then you, it's very easy for you to sit there and say, yes, we should let immigrants in.
1: Mm-hmm. Just finally on that article from Mike Seckman in the Saturday paper, um, Talking about May 2013, the then opinion editor for The Australian, Nick Cater, launched his book, The Lucky Culture, at a Melbourne function sponsored by the Institute of Public Affairs. (laughs) Yeah. Um, The right-wing think tank with great influence in conservative political circles. The biggest response to Cater's speech came when he noted that the number of people with university educations was climbing ever upward in Australia. The IPA crowd booed loudly. When he said, it's great, isn't it? Number of people with education degrees is climbing and the IPA booed loudly. It was revealing.
0: And I- who was booing? I the, mean, IPA the IPA. At- the IPA crowd. The IPA yes, crowd. But who was in the crowd? I, I mean that IPA part puzzled IPA me. I did members. read that and I thought well, you know, how do we know who was booing? Why they were booing? We, we we weren't there. We just don't know why they were booing.
1: Well, he says here it was very revealing. The IPA is apt to portray its long advocacy of reform in tertiary funding through the application of free market principles, meaning full deregulation of university fees as based on libertarian and meritocratic Merito-
0: meritoc Meritocrat-
1: Thank you. Say that again. <laughs> meritocratic. Meritocratic principles. Those boos, though, tell the truth, underlying it is the desire to restrict education to a wealthy and conservative elite. So his theory is that the IPA crowd were aware that educated elites out of university are not voting conservative, and so they booed the prospect of even more educated elites coming out of universities. That was his theory. There you go. Right. These just,
2: theories mm,
1: just back to um, One Nation, um, got some statistics here that David Marr was referring to. And when it comes to uh, education, um, in 2016, general public was 42% had university education and... 20% of One Nation voters, so big difference in qualifications. Mind you, a lot of the One Nation voters had a trade, so 30% had a trade, 15% did not, uh, compared to 15% in the general population. So typical One Nation voter, doesn't have been to university, less likely to have been to university, more likely to have a trade. There you go. Okay. Um, uh Saw an email, um, Clive Palmer. (laughs) Yeah, I saw the same email. Mm. He was on Twitter saying that new death tax revealed for Queensland. The Palaszczuk government was discussing a new death tax to be imposed on Queenslanders if returned to power.
2: Complete
0: and utter bullshit. Bullshit.
2: Because Palaszczuk doesn't have the guts to do what's right.
0: Yeah, well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you think she should um, I, legislate for it?
2: I tax. honestly believe that we should have some sort of inheritance tax in this country.
0: Oh, I
1: see. I, I disagree. It should, it should be a wealth tax um, before you die. So there you go.
0: <laughs> Get them while they're still warm. That's it. That's it. On, on the super wealthy, you know, 200,
1: 300 million from there upwards.
2: Yeah, I can understand that. But, mm. you know, I just think to myself, a death tax and that sort of thing, it's, you know, death So would duties, you
0: extend it to everybody, Scott?
2: Absolutely. But I would just think to myself, you've just got to set it up that you've got a, you know, well, see, when my old man drops, you know, divide it six ways, we're probably going to end up with half a million dollars each, thereabouts. Now, I would have thought that it's not unreasonable that we are required to declare that half a million dollars inheritance in our income tax returns. And then you have a much lower rate of tax being applied to that, but you then have to pay something. You have to pay something for that inheritance. Mm -hmm. I don't have a problem with it at all.
1: Mm -hmm. I'd have it kicking in on much larger amounts than that.
2: Well, it's probably much mm. larger, but you know that's mm. one of those things. It's mm. just, it's one of those things that you just got to you got to set the you got to set the rate right and all that sort of stuff. I don't know if it's a mm. million dollars or two million dollars or five million dollars. You've mm. got to have it somewhere that just sits in it and it says, "Okay, the state's going to take ten percent of that."
0: Mm. So mm. that million, million dollars is really not a lot of money these mm. days. No, is
2: it's it? not mm. a lot. But if you, if you, if you consider that, say, if it's a one-off gain and all that sort of mm. stuff that you're never going to see again. Then, if you get ten percent of it, that's no. If you, you lose ten percent of it, that's not. That's mm-hmm. not really a hell of a lot. Mm. Uh,
1: could,
0: could be for some. People. Anyway,
1: it's very mischievous, uh, to say the least, by Clive Palmer to be spreading that around, and mm. he's cashed up, and who knows what mischief he's going to get up to uh, in the lead up to this Queensland state
2: election. we mm, have seen he's got uh, billboards around the place saying Clive says give Labor the boot. Mm-hmm.
0: He always says that.
2: But uh, the billboards say... "Give Clive says give Labor
1: yeah, the boot. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be spending up big, see what happens with that. Mm. Um, there was an article that did the rounds in the sort of the rationalist atheist circles about uh, down in Tasmania where there was a group called Live and Die Well who were advocating against voluntary assisted dying and... Um, This article is quite lengthy and it basically goes into who are the people behind this group called Live and Die Well and surprise or not surprise, it's just stacked with Catholics and Christians but it's sort of on the face of it, that group doesn't disclose that it is a religious-based advocacy group. People would think on the face of it it's just some sort of anti-voluntary assisted dying group. That's just popped out of the ground. So, Paul, do you think it's um, poor form to be hiding their religious
0: roots or no need to...? Um, No, I think that's that's up to mm, investigative journalists to reveal that sort of information. mm -hmm. I don't think anyone should be obliged to Mm -hmm. say, I'm a Christian and I'm against, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever legislation they're against.
1: I agree with you, but it just goes to show that when you hear from groups... Who He's smell like a think careful. tank of mm. some sort or an advocacy what group. What got against think tanks,
0: Trevor? You seem to have a thing for think tanks. Well, they are... They have a, a, a role, don't they, to play?
1: Yeah, their role is to push the Overton window normally.
0: Uh, <laughs> is that all? Well... Not just to share ideas with the general public? Uh, th- their
1: role is to achieve a, a goal for their particular group. So... They have a a um, a desire to to achieve an outcome for a
0: particular group. Sounds like a conspiracy theory. It's just it's just group. It's how I, mean, I, I occasionally what's, watch what's
1: the conspiracy in that? Well, when a group of people well, are going to get no. uh, aiming to achieve the objectives of the group. That's not a conspiracy.
0: Well, I've seen some videos on YouTube of certain think tanks that you wouldn't approve of. Mm-hmm. And there were people talking about just general th- matters of interest, you know. They weren't pushing a particular political barrow. They were just sharing ideas, basically. Yeah, I'm sure there are some
1: uh, middle-of-the-road think tanks. I mean, we've got a little think tank happening here. We have. Which is a middle-of-the-road. All ideas oh, are on the table. Come on, we're better than uh, Well, you know, the th- ideas from left and right and middle are cropping up here all the time. Yeah. Let me... Go out on a limb and say this is a unique <laughs> think tank in it that is. case, because think tanks are designed to um, to push a barrow for a particular group. And if you don't think that's what think tanks are about, um, look up more
0: about think tanks. Because look, that, look, that's de- their role. I agree with you that some of them do have agendas, yes. and some of them will be pushing their barrows. Yeah. And- but I, I just I just think it's a little bit too suspicious and look, cynical to but- to assume that they all have. Malign motives, you know. I'm not saying they all do, but what I'm
1: saying is, with any group that smells like a think tank or smells like a grassroots advocacy group like this one, you really just go beyond what name they call themselves, whether it's the Center for Independent Studies, the Institute of Public Affairs, or uh, Live and Die Well, or if you just see a group name, mm. you have to stop and go, who is this, what is their agenda, why are they doing this, who's funding them, are they giving me a point of view that's designed to sway me into um, a particular bias that they have? Because you can't trust people. That's what I'm saying. Trevor and, has trust issues. I,
3: and, and this group, like Live and Die Well, is a classic example. <laughs> I, I literally read an article today that was saying uh, somebody had written in one of the Victorian uh, newspapers about the VAD law in, in Victoria uh, and how her grandfather-in-law had just passed recently because of um, voluntary assisted dying Uh <clears throat> And, you know, how they'd been robbed of his presence and he was perfectly able and all the rest of it. Oh,
0: the person was she, objecting to the fact that the grandfather had... Had
3: chosen to take oh, their own life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it turns out that she was educated in a Catholic school. She taught at a Catholic school and was a mo- member of the local Catholic uh, against VAD laws. But there was no... Uh, identification of this in the article. It was written all about how her poor grandfather-in-law had been taken prematurely. Well, she's entitled to express an opinion.
1: She can. But when you're reading it and you're deciding what weight to give it and what credence to give it, then you need to know what's the
0: agenda. Is there one? Did she have an agenda or was just that what she sincerely, sincerely believed? Well, you know, everybody doesn't have a... You know, uh, a sinister objective. But but, but it right? seemed a very tenuous link. Your your grandfather in law, Oh, grandfather in law. Well, you know, yeah. she's entitled <laughs> to her opinion. Mm. I don't think people should be obliged to reveal their religious affiliation every time they make a statement about public policy.
2: Well, I well, think that in that particular case I think that would have been very helpful to know that she was actually educated in a Catholic school and certainly. taught in a Catholic school because you've got to understand where the mix lie on this and they are opposed to it.
0: But don't you get tired of people saying things like, you know, as as a woman or as a black person or you know, as a Christian should we all start saying, as an atheist, I think voluntary assisted dying is way overdue. It's got nothing to do with I, I, being
3: I an think, atheist. I, I think it's clouding her views, a religious...
1: Do you not want to know if people have inherent reason or a bias to say something?
0: Well, I think it's up to them... To, to say what they want to say, you know. I don't think anybody should be obliged but, but to reveal would, but, their whole... Would, would you like to know? ...philosophical profile every time they make but, a public but, statement But would you would you like to know? I might be curious and if I was there do, in person, I might... Do you I think might... it's important to know?
1: Like if, for example, somebody was recommending that you buy XYZ shares... Mm-hmm. And they happen to get a financial benefit if you buy XYZ
0: shares. Oh, that's a bit different you, to a philosophical position though, no, isn't but it? But the point is you're there
1: and you're going, are you getting a commission from this? Um, okay, you've recommended I buy XYZ rather than ABC. Oh, that's quite different though, Trevor. No, no but here's my point. You're, you're then in that position saying, I'm worried that your advice might be tainted because you might be promoting this argument not for my benefit but for your own. And you may be being less than truthful. You might be painting a picture that is not actually the full story. Absolutely. In financial dealings, I would want to Okay. So in philosophical debates, some people are operating under a similar sort of uh, uh, bias or incentive where in terms of honest debate, you'd like to know whether they have an incentive one way or another. Well, ask so, them,
0: you know, but I don't think people are obliged to no, reveal their religious affiliation
1: no, every time they no, speak. No, dear listener, as a, uh, as a citizen of this current world and this current environment, you are obliged to try and to ask them or to investigate when you're reading stuff or hearing stuff, mm. don't take it as face value that there's some, um, whatever group it might be, It may not be independent. It may be a front for some other group with an agenda, and And you need to be very careful. And that's why we need good
0: good journalists on the job to ask the right questions.
1: Well, but the the whole media is, uh, yeah. Journalists ask the right questions. Well, Well, some of them do, don't they? I'm struggling to think of. (laughs) Really?
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: I'm 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 struggling to think of any. But, you, oh, know, you know, Kerry O'Brien used to actually
2: yeah, pe- yeah. keep people on the on the ropes.
1: The, the people who are actually doing a good job in journalism now are not traditional journalists. They are people like the John Menadue blog, the Michael West blog, something like even the Friendly Geordies. Have you heard of them? Oh. Google the Friendly Geordies. He's a he's a sort of a YouTuber guy, comedian, and. He did an expose of the National Party leader in the State Parliament in New South Wales and it's full of lots of um, off-colour jokes and whatever, but it was really well-researched about the shitfuckery that that guy has mm. been up to. Barilaro, yeah, mm. and um, exposed a lot of issues going on. Way more investigative journalism in a 20-minute YouTuber video than you'd get in the Sydney Morning Herald in the last twelve months. Mm. Um, so a lot of the better journalism um, is now coming because the the, the parliamentary political gallery um, relies on leaks, and if they if they make too many waves, they don't get the leaks and they miss out on the scoops. There's there's some inherent problems with with our um, Our media system, that means, uh, and politicians can just duck a question. Even when one is asked, a politician can just duck and weave and say, oh, I just reject the premise of your question. Next, and nothing happens. Like, good questions have been asked by the Parliamentary Gallery and, oh, I reject the premise of your question. Move on.
0: This is the times we're living in. It's sad. It is but sad. This is not a – sorry for the know, depressing episode. I, I don't here, think it? it's quite as bad as you described, frankly, but, yeah. Um, mm. yeah, I mean, you know, we should be cultivating good journalism and good journalists in mm. this country. Mm. Um
2: Just going back to that uh, where you said it's our responsibility to find out what people believe and all that sort of stuff. Uh, If you can, to look behind to see. Yeah, I know. Well, I have tried Mm. very hard to get Janet Wishart to respond to my question about voluntary assisted dying. Janet Wishart is the LNP candidate for Mansfield. Yeah. I have repeatedly asked her office and officers to get back to me on what she believes about voluntary assisted dying. She hasn't come back to me. I think I've realised. Scott. Sorry?
0: You're just a voter. Well,
2: I know that, but I just think I've realised here because I'm just going on her LNP webpage which says she has run a small business, been a pastor, and with her husband, Dougal, is raising three teenage children. Right. So she's been a pastor, presumably with Hillsong. Look, don't worry about that. The name Dougal gives it away. <laughs> Does it? I don't know where the Dougal Sp- comes. Scottish. Apologies
0: to all Dougals out there. Scottish, isn't it? All right. Sound Scottish? Anyway,
2: it's just I have tried to get an answer out of her. I haven't succeeded. Yeah, so, but,
1: but okay, I wasn't saying uh, ring an answer out of people. I was saying look behind groups and are they a front for something else? Yeah, absolutely. So and I think to myself, you're you're now not surprised to learn that a Liberal Party member is a front for a for, for a, absolutely.
2: You know, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised when I read that or anything yeah. like that. It was just. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it now makes perfect sense why she hasn't answered me. Well, mm.
0: Do you recall some weeks back I was talking about the local liberal candidate for my electorate in a city Brisbane, and uh, I looked up his personal profile, and he went to school at the Seventh Day Adventist School in Mount Gravatt, uh, and um, so I just assumed he would would certainly be a Christian, and yeah. I, I I wrote some comments on his page, and I and I was very sp- explicit and i said um i'm i'm assuming you know based on your school background that you're a practicing christian and therefore i'm wondering if you know you would support voluntary assisted dying abortion on demand this kind of thing and he was very cagey he didn't give me a direct answer but he yeah. actually said i'm not a practicing christian which surprised me so there you go just because you went to a a, a no, it's school. of course it doesn't necessarily mean you are. I went to a Christian brother's school. Of course you did. But yeah. a seventh day adventist school is right. sort of a different category to your local Catholic school. Right, okay. You know what I mean? It's right. a, bit a bit more, more hardcore. A bit more specialised, bit more hardcore. Right. A bit more narrow in their target audience if you like he's no
3: longer a christian he's now a full scientologist (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah well i don't know anyway he he wouldn't give me a straight answer whether he supported them but he he didn't say absolutely no i don't support them but he was just very cagey but you know but he did surprise me with his no i'm not a practicing christian statement right yeah, so there you go. Right, we can be surprised by these people sometimes. Yes, Which yes. I I compare to
2: the uh, I compare and contrast my uh, my um, uh, attempt to get information out of Janet Wishart's campaign with the really lovely chat I had with the T W U workers who were out there pushing Corinne McMillan, her uh, Labour can, a Labour opposition member. Mm-hmm. And they were all very upfront. They said, yeah, we're very much in favour of voluntary assisted dying. I'd be very surprised if Corrine McMillan wasn't, so you can mm. give her a call. Mm. You know, it's – um. and they all said, they said, oh, we think Janet Wishart, Wishart's a Christian, so mm. you really wouldn't surprise so them. So it don't count point. on her for exactly. voluntary assisted
0: dying. Mm. But there must be some Christians who would support it, don't you think? Yes, I mean, it's some more sort of, if you like, modern, you know, progressive thinking. Seventy
3: percent of population supported it, it.
0: It would it would actually be yeah, so. There must be would, more than a few. It would actually be your more traditional uh,
1: Catholics and and England Anglicans who would be very who, much in favor. Who are of in favor of it? It's going to be your more New Age evangelicals yeah. who are going to be against it. That agree. would be my guess. I think that's I right. don't have a study to back it up, but that's. I guess
0: <laughs> Okay mm. I'll accept it this time Okay
1: um, Scott When we started this podcast Five years ago mm. <laughs> um, we, we had a, a segment for um, Sports people behaving badly <laughs> and, uh, you be and, I, and I called it You cannot be curious uh, In oh, honour of nice. um, In honour of John McEnroe And I had a little clip here You can't be serious man You cannot be serious Yes, you cannot be be curious uh, for sports people behaving badly. And this week's edition of You Cannot Be Curious, uh, the award goes to Gary Ablett (laughs) Senior. And dear listener. He's earned it. He has. Um, Gary Ablett uh, Senior. He's
2: clearly off his medication. (laughs) Yeah, I've
1: got a link to it. You know, there's a chance you've probably seen it. but he is in his car and he's talking to camera and he talks for a good um, 27 minutes and 38 seconds. And um, and I'm going to play it all for you right now. Just kidding. No, because um, it's tortuous. But he goes on and on about uh, Christ and coming back and um, the Lamb of God and the crucifix. And then he gets into all sorts of Q QAnon type stuff and uh, he, he covers the whole gamut of just craziness. He, in, got, in he went
0: quite beyond, quite yeah. far beyond your your average sort of evangelical Christian yeah, who's waiting was, for Christ to return, didn't he? He
1: had wrapped up a lot of this QAnon conspiracy type stuff in there as well. That sort of language was in there, I think. So um, I might play a little clip of that at the end of this um, just so you can get a feel for Gary Ablett Sr. <coughs>
3: A conversation earlier See. about whether the, uh, the Illuminati were real. Apparently it was a real secret society in oh, Bavaria. There you go. So, mm. yes, it was real.
2: Mm. Yeah, really? Mm.
1: Paul, I want you to answer something for me here. Mm-hmm. So in the publications that you favour, um, which are quite, um, f- you know, libertarian freedom uh, mm-hmm. against tyrannical Totalitarian governments
0: against authoritarian. Yeah, yeah.
1: Why is it that we don't hear much from those groups about Julian Assange that that speaks? You know, th- th- know. they're ranting about dictator Dan. They're they're ranting about tyranny by China, where they see it. They they criticise a lot of authoritarian. Um, it, and I don't see support for Julian Assange I'm not sure from Sure that's true to be honest
0: I th- I recall coming across some article about Julian Assange today or yesterday mm-hmm. and I just don't recall which publication it was in but I'll I'd have to get back so, to you on see, that See I
1: one. looked in Spectator Australia yeah. and I saw things like um poor Julian Assange call me a contrarian but I'm genuinely starting to feel sorry for the guy he's there made such a mess of his life hasn't he like that's not a, a championing of, of the man's standing up to tyrannical governments. Um, another one was, lock up your left-wing activist sisters. Julian Assange is back in town in a triumph for accused rapists everywhere, the Swedish prosecutors, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that doesn't sound like it's going to be a
0: positive Julian Assange yeah, article. Clearly, that, those journalists. Uh,
1: another, another one here. Um Maybe Julian Assange is doing God's work. Maybe he's doing Putin's work. Maybe both. Maybe neither. I certainly know commentators. Blah blah blah. So, that was Spectator Australia, which uh, the the beginning of three articles. It, it, the whole stick is about standing up to tyrannical governments and freedom-loving individuals. Mm. I find it strange that they don't support Julian Assange, hmm. even in the UK. Douglas Murray,
2: yeah.
1: um, Julian Assange is one of my best enemies. For my
0: part, it was hatred at first sight. So why is it? Look, you know, people who write for the Spectator or any, you know, so-called conservative commentators, they are not made in a mould. You know, they each have their own independent thought processes. I dare say some of them probably do support Assange.
1: I don't. I don't know. I just couldn't. I just couldn't find an article that was
0: supportive in the Australian. But that's just or the with the UK. You know, one look or mm. you know, one or two days. If, if look. you
1: if you could find an, a positive article for me okay. um, in the Spectator Australia or the Spectator UK, not the Spectator US, because the Spectator US does actually have a positive article. Oh, does it? About, yes. Well,
0: there you go. But
1: I'm I'm interested to know why these bastions of libertarianism are not supportive of a man who stood up to uh, fairly unsavoury work by uh, a number of governments. It just Indeed. seems strange when they talk about Dictator Dan and how we don't have an opportunity
0: well, to... Well, Assange doesn't have political power, whereas Dictator Dan does. Yeah, but so it's, it's, it's hardly
1: of, surprising. The principle of supporting him, I would have thought, would have been right in their wheelhouse... I'm surprised that they don't.
0: Look, if you dig deep enough, I dare say you'll mm. find some people would support Assange. Mm. I don't know.
1: Yeah, but some would, but I just can't find any in that paper mm. when I think they should. And the same with um, uh, what was the other example I was going to use? Uh, so that was Julian Assange, and of course, um, uh,
3: have you seen who's on the parliamentary list of supporters for Assange?
1: Yes it is george christensen and
3: uh andrew, uh wilkie andrew, andrew wilkie, wilkie yeah
1: like people from polar opposites yes
3: quite polar opposites aren't they
0: yes interesting Yeah, a-
3: yeah. and Barn- barnaby joyce yes hmm.
0: yeah Assange is, is a bit of a fringe character though isn't he? he i mean i don't i don't know that his life story would e- you know evoke sympathy from just one ideological group. But, but these people are all about freedom of speech. They are. An
1: anti-tyrannical government, mm-hmm. no matter how distasteful the actual person might be in their private affairs, the mm-hmm. principles. Mm-hmm. I disagree with what you say, but I defend your right to say it. Mm. All that's stick. So on that I, basis, I, I, there are a bunch of hypocrites, all of them. I find their position on Julian Assange hypocritical. And um, yeah, it's um, an interesting point. Mm, here is the other thing: here is more hypocritical, more hypocrisy. More, uh, hypocrisy. Um, um, same with the Witness K trial. Why are they not talking about Bernard Collery and mm-hmm. East Timor in the Witness K trial?
0: Like there
1: is a star change. Are you going sure they on. haven't?
0: Can't see anything on it. Yeah, but, I mean, you might have to, you know, go back a few issues. But, but, you know,
1: know, when when I'm just inundated with Dictator Dan stories, meanwhile there's a star chamber operating in Canberra. Mm. Like if you are against authoritarian tyranny, by all means... Is it authoritarian tyranny? Well, a secret star chamber that we can't decide what's going on, we can't see what's going on, and even... Bernard Collery doesn't even know what's mm. going on in the own trial against him about a matter that happened, what was it, 20 years ago or whatever it was, uh, with East Timor, mm. um, that is a despicable breach of democratic norms. I agree with you. And
0: I could, mean, you, could, you in write, principle.
1: could you write to the spectator as a yeah. concerned um, advocate of them and, and say... <laughs> You love the Spectator. You're a big fan. And a friend said, "Why don't you ever criticise what's happening with? I asked my mate and, Declan, and, and yes, why well, he hasn't written an article about is it? He, yeah, please. <laughs> I'd be interested to see what response because if that's their whole stick, I don't understand why they're not. I find it hypocritical. I question their motives if on things that are so obvious they're not prepared to say something. Here's another one I find interesting as well is. Uh, A lot of the argument from that sort of side would be the shutdowns are killing our economy and we're paying too big a price in terms of economic matters Mm -hmm. where we need to be prepared to sacrifice a few lives in order to have our economy running. Is that a fair assessment of, of some of the argument coming out of the likes of of that
0: side? I, I think if you use the word sacrifice, it sounds like Where? people deliberately, you know, feeding bodies into the mill. Pick, I another, pick another word. Yeah, look, I'm happy to go. No, it's the... just reality. Humans have always lived with viruses and they've oh. always, some yeah. of them, yeah. been killed by the viruses. Yeah, and, and we could That's go to life.
1: extraordinary lengths to delay that or even prevent it, but mm-hmm. the cost to our economy is not Justified, okay. Like the cost to the to the lives economically that flow on are not worth it. Is what they're saying. But
0: you don't think they're being very selective about trying to save lives from viruses, which we know kill people anyway, and not try to save lives in other areas? No, no, but here's my point: is they they're putting a high priority on the economy
1: and its and its value to people. Both in monetary terms and in ongoing uh, happiness of their lives. It's a lot
0: more than just money, though, isn't it? It's about people going to school, you know, progressing their careers, keeping keeping the mortgage payments up, keeping their family relationships together. It's a whole lot more than just lives or dollars. I mean, that's simplifying it to an obscene degree.
1: Well, but they are arguing, though, that the economy has to be resurrected or has to be there's – an, there's an economic value on one side that has to be protected, mm-hmm. and if it means that some lives we don't protect as much, then that's just a way up that we're having to do. It, it, it's a weighing up, and they're saying not enough credence is being given to maintaining the economy and everything that flows from the economy.
0: I think it's a whole lot more than just the economy, if, if I can say that. But look, uh, someone made the point if the government was so worried about protecting everybody from mm-hmm. death, mm-hmm. why do we still have 100 kilometer per hour mm-hmm. speed limits? Mm-hmm. If they lowered the speed mm-hmm. limit to 50 on motorways mm-hmm. and 30 or 40 on city streets, mm-hmm. we would save hundreds of lives every year because, because they're not, not going to do it, are but, they?
3: But you don't catch road accidents. Sorry? You don't catch road accidents. No,
0: but you can prevent them, you know, prevent yep. the conditions yep. that allow of, them of, to happen. Of course you could. And people have said we're not prepared to
1: do that because we're prepared to wear some lives on the roads That's right. in order for people to... And
0: they put an economic cost of, on all those deaths, of, of don't they, and all the emergency services that have to deal with them, and there's a huge cost. Yeah, and they're saying on the one hand we
1: could save lives by having a mandatory 40k per hour yes. speed limit on the highways but people would go crazy yes. and... Like uh, some all, Melbourne all this, people are going
0: crazy and they're all, being all issued these. with $1,600 fines for expressing their difference of opinion. Mm.
1: You know? Okay, so it's not really that they're trying to protect the economy is what you're saying.
0: No, I think it's, it's, it's a whole it's lot just, more than the economy. I think it's just people's normal lives, you know, being able to get on with their normal lives without these unnecessary disruptions. Mm. Okay.
3: I, I did hear an argument that... Um We're protecting healthcare workers. You uh, uh, the ambulance turns up to a road accident uh, and, yes, there's a mental impact, but they are not at risk of dying because of that. Um, But we have seen in places where this has spread that it's the healthcare workers that are getting hit the hardest uh, and they may well choose that they're not going to turn up. They're not going to come to work.
0: Well, they might. But, I mean, why do they turn up every time there's a flu epidemic? They, st- they turn up and surely they get infected then too, don't
3: they? Uh, they have much lower mortality rates with flu. We, we've we seen um, for a workforce, the, the healthcare workers in Italy particularly, and these were young, healthy people, mm. were wiped out by this. Wiped out? Well, they were hit very heavily as a demographic. Mm.
1: Um. Just following on from last week, finally, as well, we're talking about what do editors do. And <laughs> I was talking about journalists and
0: saying that they're,
1: we're discussing whether they're, they're all just
0: hollow vessels waiting to be but, filled by, whether, by the editor.
1: Whether, whether editors had any control over them or not. And um, coincidentally, found this article about Chris Ullman. Nine news political editor who's not a fan of Victoria Labor government's response to no, the pandemic. No, published
0: quite a stinging article, didn't he? He did. I saw that one. Yeah. It was interesting. Yeah. I was very
2: surprised and, to hear that he was so idiot. Yeah.
0: Cuz he used to work for the ABC. How dare he go out on a limb and criticize a good Labor government. Yeah. And um,
1: and his uh, so his article is published on Wednesday mornings as a regular thing. Uh in the Sydney Morning Herald as part of his gig with that group. Mm-hmm. You didn't read it on Wednesday morning, did you?
0: I don't remember when I read it.
1: No, you didn't because the editors pulled it did and they? said, this doesn't uh, work with us. This is critical of.
0: That was the Sydney Morning Herald Age. Wasn't uh, it? The Sydney Morning
1: Herald and the Age. Yeah, it's yeah. the same company. Yeah. yeah. So on Wednesday morning, Allman's criticism of Victoria Premier Daniel Andrews was not in the Melbourne paper. Oh, nice. Age sources say the column was rejected by editors who do not describe to the dictator Dan view of the world embraced by its competitor, the Herald Sun, and they believed aged readers aged readers, wouldn't like it. <laughs>
0: That's crazy. On
1: Thursday after some meetings, the column was belatedly published in The Age. Oh,
0: wouldn't you have loved to be been a fly on the wall in that meeting? Just an
1: example of... Uh, if you think that editors don't have any... I, I never said control. they don't have
0: any influence, Trevor. If you think What so, I just... said was they are not just empty vessels waiting to be told what to write. They have their own minds. They have their own interests. Of course they, you know, there is editorial guidance but, but, I, and, I, I, of course, I, I, we know different publications will have different emphasis. We know that. Mm. But they're not all just, you know, drones waiting to be told what to write. Mm. We're going to get Watley
1: on because... Uh... Uh it was gonna there's a chance it was gonna to be tonight, but we'll have it on next week. He worked in newspapers and uh had a role and and saw this in happening in the flesh. So mm-hmm. what Lee, at some stage we will get you on. So I reckon that's probably done us, unless you guys had something that you wanted to add. We've been going for an hour and a half already, haven't we? Yeah, this this
0: audio-only version. Go so quickly when you're having a good
1: time. Oh, I know what I wanted to say. Let me go right back (laughs) to my first note. Sorry, dear listener. Um, I think we've just clocked up 100,000 downloads since five years. So uh, (laughs) that's about an average of 370 per episode. Uh, We currently have about 500 listeners per episode. I just submitted uh, the podcast for a you have to sort of enter a podcast award, you have to do a 15-minute clip and then submit a sort of a written thing as to why you think you should win. And uh, as part of that, I convinced myself that we really should be having more than 500 people listening to this show. Like, seriously, <laughs> are you listening to this podcast and you think only 500 is mm. – do you think that's an acceptable number, really, dear listener? How mm. many people have you told about this podcast? Mm. Seriously. So – we need to get cracking um, and get some more people because I'm sick of hanging around the 500. We need, we need a few thousand. Seriously, seriously we do. So, uh, and having Joe put his hand up to uh, volunteer made me think maybe there's other people out there who might put their hand up and volunteer. So, I need a video editor, and here's here's the gig. So. As you know, we normally um, upload these to YouTube. So I want somebody to create little snippets, sort of three-minute, two-minute snippets of of little highlight, little packages where we say something interesting and put some subtitles underneath them and that we can then share on Facebook and that people can share and do that sort of thing. So if you are interested in that, um, it might take you about three hours a week uh, initially, maybe down to two hours, and – uh, it would involve downloading the video, chopping up into different bits, adding subtitles. We could show you how to do that easily. You don't have to write every word or type every word. There's sort of programs that do most of it. So, so yeah, um, that would be handy if somebody out there has got the time and the inclination and wants to put their hand up, um, send us a message. That would be good. So, Yeah.
0: We need to share the message with the world. That's right.
1: We need to start doing some advertising and start getting the word out. So there we go. Right. Well, I've said enough. Talk to you next week.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks very much for tuning in. Bye
0: now. See you, everyone. Cheers, everyone.
1: Bye. What, one may ask, is the difference between youth and age? It is the following probably. In your youth, you meet every day with 38 or 40 people of your age in school or college and out of this number build friendships, alliances, rivalries or sexual passions with 18 or 22. These become your intimate world, the field of honour on which you are tested, the jury before which you plead your cause. To these might be added the drama group, the choir, the tennis club, the chess club, the church congregation you are in, You see them less often, once or twice a week, but they add up to 30 or 40 people your age or near it with whom you are in regular, intimate contact. But once you leave college or go to another town, the 18 or 20 peers you see each day is reduced to three or four, and the choir and tennis club members who migrated with you likewise to one or two. It is a crisis of discontinuity, and, though you do not suspect it, the end of youth. If you stay in the same town and half your friends do also, the number of times you see them is drastically reduced. A weekly gathering in a pub will soon peter out as fiancés are acquired, marriages attempted, and mewling infants distract and unsettle your old acquaintance. A weekly poker game can acrimoniously dissipate. The tennis club may persist for a while, but the reducing numbers will mark each year. The passing of time. By the age of 38, you will be seeing two friends once a month, by 50, four friends once a year. High school and college reunions may resurrect for a time old intimacies and spice with a passing adultery a memory of old love. But the numbers, the numbers you took for granted in your adolescence, never come again. Old age is when there is only you, your wife, a pestiferous neighbour and the occasional Skyped image of your son or daughter from another hemisphere and their children speaking a foreign tongue and the new friends you see twice weekly at the workers' club or once a month in the book club and the feeling of age derives from the loss of the gang you were once in at school or college who you never see now and may write the odd Christmas card to. There are people you love, Barry Humphrey's ghostly character, Sandy Stone of his, and you never see them, and there are people you can't stand, and you see them all the time. Age is therefore an unwilled forgetting of the good, the glad, the loved, by broken contact with those you knew and knew well when you were young. A faltering memory begins, and then dementia.